0: SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number two with guest Hilary Cotter. Well, welcome. Uh, my guest this evening is Hilary Cotter. Uh, Hillary has been involved in IT for the last 20 years. Originally from Canada, he's lived in New Zealand and currently lives in the eastern United States. He's worked as a programmer, a LAN and web administrator, and over the past five years exclusively as a DBA. He's been working with SQL Server since version 6. He's been a SQL Server MVP since 2001 and Hillary is very interested in Microsoft Search Technologies and SQL Server Replication. He completed a book on SQL Server 2000 Transactional and Snapshot Replication in 2004 and is working on a book on SQL 2000 Merge Replication for third quarter 2005. Welcome, Hilary. Well, thank you, Greg. It's great. I must admit, uh, the, the book uh, that you wrote on Transactional Replication and Snapshot Replication is probably one of the largest books I have in the library. The, uh, I wondered if it was sold by the pound, almost. <laughs> you know, but it was. I, fi- I found it very, very informative. Was It a good experience to put together.
1: Yeah, well, it was. Um, it was a little hard sometimes. I'd go off in tangents, and mm-hmm. uh, I think there's, there's areas which I, I really felt down on, upon. Like the uh, I didn't do a lot of, it, of work on recoverability,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I didn't. Uh, I think the performance section really sucks. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've discovered whole new worlds in both of those sections since then. So mm-hmm. for the uh, for the 2005 one, I I hope to uh, to really work on recoverability, like disaster recoverability. How do you recover your replication replication solution when something goes south?
0: Yeah, I, I must admit, back when I used to teach the sort of version six classes, I, it was always that. Uh, Replication was one of those things that uh, many of the students found very, very difficult to even get the labs working, let alone uh, anything else. However, I must admit, by the time we got to SQL Server 7, uh, the wizards and things that appeared seemed to make life a lot easier.
1: You know, I, I can't remember the wizards within uh, 6 and 6.5 too much. I remember hmm. that in, in 6 they had this, uh, this feature where you could uh, diagram your to replication topology. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I I don't really remember a whole lot about the Wizards. Mm. The problem with with replication is that it can fall down in in many different areas, and it's dependent upon your security and your your network topology. So if you Mm -hmm. don't network, or if you're replicating over the internet, or over a a WAN, or between domains which aren't trusted, there's all sorts of problems you can put into. you know, it, it can break into so many different ways. You know, mm. There's traps all over the place. If, if you can get over these traps, it isn't it really quite solid. It will, and then uh, then will, if your network goes down on you, it'll break. And the first time you see it break like that, you get a little upset. Mm. And uh, so you, you just got how to learn how to maintain it, how to babysit it a little bit. But it, it tends to be very solid. But yeah. it, I feel your pain.
0: Yes, indeed. What, what, what do you think are the main things that people go wrong with or have difficulties with when uh, dealing with SQL Server 2000 replication?
1: I think uh, the identity range management is mm-hmm. a problem. There's uh, different kinds of problems you can run into. The first kind of problem is if, you're, if you have a big snapshot, your snapshot will probably uh, time out on you. So what it does is, the very first thing it does is it it makes an estimate as to how long it'll take to generate your snapshot. And if it's wrong, then your agents will go suspect. Mm -hmm. Then in deploying your your uh, snapshot, when it sends data to your subscriber, and it's, it's kind of BCPing your data to your subscriber, sometimes there's no communication. Like when BCP, mm. it always says 10,000 rows copied. If there's no communication from the distribution agent when it's BCPing mm-hmm. the data, there's no communication between the distribution agent and the replication subsystem. Mm. Saying 10,000 rows copied, it can mark your agent suspect. So there's a lot of um, problems, let's say, with large snapshots, so that they are mm. problematic. And then if, if it fails, you've got to restart from the beginning.
0: Yes. So Actually, a, a site I was at just this week uh, was struggling with the fact that they had a 30-gig snapshot, and they only right. had a 1-meg link. And But in the right. end, it, it really it, it seemed to me more of a design problem, because they were sort of generating a snapshot of what effectively was seven years of history, where they, they really right. only had a, a, a month and a half of active data
1: yeah what i do what I kind of recommend for situations like that is to replicate just the schema mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you replicate that to a uh, to a local box and then what you do is you take that that schema and you pre apply it on your snapshot or on your subscriber and then uh, and then apply the snapshot through an alternate location mm So it's it's a little tricky to to set up, but um, sending it over the wire is not a good idea. Yeah, especially if you're big.
0: Yeah, but with the large ones, um, I I suppose one of the options is usually to uh, send send a piece of media instead or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they do have an option for that. If if you're doing a pull subscriber, a pull subscription, Mm. there's a dialog which says uh, um, I think this is a
0: yeah, from an alternate, from an alternate oh, location, yeah. Yes, that's the one to use. Hmm. What what sort of things do you find... Uh, I suppose one of the problems I, I hear about all the time is people who have uh, replication agents that stop and uh, they haven't really set up anything to monitor them.
1: Yeah, that's um, that's problematic. And it's it's problematic, especially if you're using pull subscriptions. Because with Pulse subscriptions, the agents run on the subscribers. So mm. you're, you have to really visit each subscriber to see what's failed. Now, there is a replication monitor group. You go to Tools, Show Replication Monitor Group. Then this dialog will pop up, and you can add each distribution agent or each distributor you wish to monitor. So you can add all your subscribers, and then you will see at a glance which subscriber has failed on you. And then you can drill down, and you drill down right into the uh, the particular agents. So mm-hmm. you can you can drill down into a particular uh, pull subscription agent and restart it, or maintain it, or do or do do some maintenance on that agent, like uh, set time up to a larger value. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so visibility is a problem, and the other um, problem that you'll run into is uh, when your agents fail, you probably want to have them restart every five minutes. So if mm-hmm. you're running continuously, you want your agents to to restart themselves. So you mm-hmm. either schedule them to run every five minutes and yeah. run continuously or when your agent fails, you have it restart. You, you have to restart by uh, looping back to job one yeah and then then the thing that you want to do is you want to visit each each subscriber in DTS uh, rebel errors table locally to a local repository and then examine these errors just to see what kind of errors you're getting because what you may find is you may find great lost links mm-hmm. and uh, you'll never know about this until uh, until you collect all the errors locally.
0: Yeah. And so with each of the distribution agents, they, they all have their own uh, event processing or alerting type options. Uh, do you, which which of those do you tend to configure normally?
1: Well, you know, I find, uh, I find when I use replication alerts that uh, I work in, well, first of all, I tend to work in kind of a distributed environments. So we mm-hmm. replicate across a lot of WANs. Mm-hmm. And so we may be replicating over a, ISDN link to Guam. You know, these these links go down a lot, so they'll generate a lot of errors. And so if we if we use the alerting function to to alert us, we're just getting a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. And we want to know that yeah, this link's going down, but we don't want to know about it every ten minutes. So there's an option in alerting to have it only alert you once a day. Yes. Or once every Every so many time periods. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I normally do is I write to NetIQ. I, I mean, I write to the event log. I set up alerts, just write to the event log, and then I have NetIQ uh, handle these events. So NetIQ has a more robust system of, uh, of filtering out, of uh, handling noise. Mm-hmm. So it can do something similar like uh, if Slink goes down more than 20 times a day, alert me. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the things I that I'm really worried about in these distributed environments because I'm using pull everywhere and you know, have the visibility and what I don't know is how often these guys are failing. I don't know how often my subscribers talk to my publisher. So mm-hmm. if you're offline for more than uh, 20, or more a 48-hour 48 48 hour time period, your agent, uh, your subscription can expire.
0: Yeah. So
1: I want to know what is expiring. Now what I do, basically what I do is I collect all the uh, history, distribution agent history. Uh, I DTS it locally. And then I run these jobs, which uh, finds out when the last time uh, I spoke with a subscriber or subscri- subscribing the publisher. And if I go beyond a certain time period, then I uh, raise an alert. Now, in SQL 2005, you have an option for this. that it, uh, alert is raised if your subscriber... By default, has not talked to your your publisher within 80% of the threshold for your subscription retention. Mm-hmm. So by default, your subscription retention or your your, your subscription expiration time period is uh, 72 hours. Yes. So th- there's an alert that uh, will be raised. and You have to go in and configure it.
0: That will be raised within 80% of that. Impact period. Yeah. Actually, one of the questions with the uh, 72 hour number is just uh, I've come across people who've had, say, long weekends and things and found right. that, uh, yeah, it comes unstuck in that time too. If you increase uh, that size, is that really affecting anything else much more than the size of the distribution database?
1: Well, but. There's a real issue here. First of all, you have to set your retention period to the same value as your history. So your subscription will expire on the lesser of the two. So the lesser of history or the lesser of uh, of your, your distribution retention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if there's no history coming from your subscriber within 48 hours by default, your subscriber will expire. If your subscriber doesn't talk to your subscriber, i if your subscriber does not talk to your publisher within seventy-two hours, your subscription will expire. So by default, the first thing which is going to bite you is going to be the history of retention. And so you should bump that up to 72 hours. Now to address your question, the retention period is how long replication metadata is going to stick around in your distribution database. And um, what this is is the commands and the, the transactions in MS REPL commands and MS REPL transactions. Mm-hmm. For name subscriptions, they're purged as soon as they're applied on all subscribers. For for anonymous, they hang around for that retention period.
0: Because, because they late. that's right, because they don't know which of the subscribers have received it at that point? Is that yeah.
1: that that's exactly it, mm. yeah. So um, you you really want this thing to be as small as possible. So you want, but, but uh, you know, if it's too short, you don't, aren't giving yourself enough of a window to to get a subscriber up and running. So, for instance, in one of these these distributed topologies that we were uh, we were replicating out to Guam um, during hurricane season, we might be Guam might be offline for for two three days. Mm. And, uh, so Guam was always a problem for us. So, but we, but we, um, we, we were able to have a package to, to get our subscription out to Guam, no problem. So, we did run with, uh, two days there. Yeah. So, for anonymous, if you're running anonymous, you want it small. Mm-hmm. Because that will mean less commands will be in your, in your distribution database. But then you might have to wrestle with, uh, with deploying snapshots to experienced s- subscribers, hmm. so with a with a well connected topology and uh, anonymous subscribers make it small. If you have lossy links, then you might want to make it larger. Hmm. And uh, with merge replication, uh, you want to again you want you want to try to make it as small as possible. And there's a, a very famous uh, uh, topology we have out here with. Uh, it's with uh, Kraft Foods, I think Nabisco, yes. the company that makes Oreo cookies. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they uh, they have a fleet of uh, 1,400 trucks. And these trucks, um, w- when the truck driver goes into the warehouse in the morning, they pick up their pocket PC from a cradle, mm-hmm. and they they can see all their orders that they do that they're supposed to do for that day. Then they go out to their customers and uh, they give them, let's say, two crates of Oreo cookies, and the the customer, the shopping center may reject one of these k- of these crates. Yes. Or it, it may give returns. So these details are entered into the pocket PC. It goes back in the cradle and uh, and a, a call is made from the pocket PC to he- the head office. And uh, they pick up new orders over the internet as they drive. I believe it's as they drive. I'm not totally sure about that. Yep. But anyway, th- the point is that. Uh, for these Pocket PCs involved in this Merge Replication uh, topology, they have a retention period of five days, mm-hmm. which is down from 14 days, and it's set up to five days because they found that w- was the optimal retention period for them. Mm-hmm. It was not pooling too much Merge Replication metadata, but uh, enough so they didn't have to deploy the snapshot to their Pocket PCs too, up, too frequently.
0: So just in general, then, with SQL Server 2000, what do you think are the most basic mistakes that people make with replication?
1: The uh, the most basic mistake I find is uh, people using merge replication where they shouldn't be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's that's the number one mistake. And, and that's um, because
0: they think they want bidirectional, but they haven't looked at what, uh, partitioning the data or something? Or That's,
1: that's because they're using bidirectional between two servers. Mm-hmm. And uh, what works out best for them really is uh, bidirectional transactional. Yes. Bidirectional, bidirectional transactional is only good between two. Uh, you can only have a, a single pair. So you can have mm-hmm. between one publisher and one subscriber. You can't have one publisher, two or three subscribers. Sure. The other thing I, I find is uh, what a lot of people do is uh, they have a, a branch office, but they have a central office and five branch locations. Mm-hmm. And um, they go for a, uh, a central publisher or central subscriber topology. And um, what they actually should be doing is they should be remote controlling into central office. Now, this works best if they have very good links. If they don't have good links, then they need a distributed topology. Mm-hmm. So what, what's happened is I've, I've run into people who, uh, who are interested, really interested in disaster recovery. It's abs- absolutely critical to them. And so what they do is they set up replication. And uh, when you set up replication in a disaster recovery environment where you have one server, a destination server, and a source server, and they have to be close to each other, it's sometimes a little hard to set up, up uh, this in a replicated environment, especially when you have to deal with identity keys, and uh, foreign key constraints, and uh, just a couple of other things. Just, okay. hmm. just triggers, foreign key constraints, uh, cascading updates, cascading deletes, yeah, and primary keys.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's right. Because often the primary keys end up becoming a unique index or something exactly. instead. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So, um, so for pure disaster recovery one server to another server um, I recommend that what they do is they they use some remote control solution mm-hmm. so the, the customers are hitting this this one server and if that server goes down then they're failed over to the disaster recovery site yeah I mean, it, it, there's, there's so, so I find people using replication uh, for the wrong solution. replication is the, is the wrong solution for their particular problem mm um, then the other problem is uh, basically network connectivity. Uh, their agents fail, and this is their first time setting it up, and, and they simply don't know what to do. Yeah. So, so that uh, they, they just get uh, a little uh, spooked mm-hmm. by the agents failing them all the time.
0: I think. Do you think also um, people don't seem to ever configure agent profiles, and they just leave them at the defaults?
1: You know, the defaults are not really that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, what I find, uh, I think people evolve. the replication knowledge evolves. And uh, what happens is they start off as a newbie. They get to a certain point, then they discover profiles. And what they do is they start running the continuing on disaster on data consistency failure profile. And then mm-hmm. what happens is that they said they don't know that their subscribers are getting more and more out of sync with their publisher and uh, I, I don't like to see people running those now mm-hmm. uh, um, there are there are certain profiles for instance you can set up a, a debugging profile so you can uh, run with no history at all and you get much better performance that way so you can create a profile with no history and uh, you get a 10 to 15 percent uh, per command uh, performance mm-hmm. increase Yep. So then, then if you have any failure, there's no history, just your agent's marked with that uh, that white X and red circle. Mm. And uh, so then what you do is you change the profile for debugging, and then you get some history and find out what the is all about. Correct. So, yeah. yeah um, but the, the defaults are not
0: bad. So... Good. As, you, as you'd hope.
1: <laughs> right, right. And uh, they, they've done a lot of work in uh, 2005. For instance, mm-hmm. one of the things uh, that plagues every replication newbie is when your network goes down. So in 2005, the replication agents auto and the uh, the, uh, the network link, and they, they will restart themselves when, mm-hmm. uh, when the link goes down. Also, with the distribution agent, there's an option called the independent agent option. Mm-hmm and um, for s- for if you have multiple tables which are related by uh, DRI these agents will be assigned a distribution agent mm-hmm. so what will happen is several of these distributed agents will be spawned up for each, um, each group of, uh, of tables or, or of articles so you can get three or four or five streams of data going into a subscriber at a single time. The right. default in SQL 2000 was to share these agents.
0: Mm-hmm. So actually, can- that, that'll bring us nicely. We'll actually, just take a break for a few minutes, and in fact, when we come back from the break, we'll talk specifically about SQL Server 2005. It's great. Sounds good. Thanks. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. That's great. Well, it's great. Thanks. For back from the break. And so what I might do first up is just get Hillary, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a SQL Server MVP. I live in the States. I, I oh, work. in the yeah. eastern US. Yes, that's, that's right.
1: That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah I think... Yeah, I started off as a programmer, and uh, I was just getting really tired of uh, of uh, maintaining other people's code, and uh, <laughs> and then even my own code. And um, so I found that as a as a programmer, I was just doing tremendous hours, and most uh, that the land administrators were always the people getting out the door around five. So <laughs> I uh, I started moving more and more into uh, land administration. I was I was actually quite interested in it, and um, From there, um, I started having to maintain uh, some databases. Now, we were working with Sybase, actually, and -hmm. um, from Sybase, I started getting involved with SQL Server, and it was purely from the system administration part. In fact, my T-SQL is not the best. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have worked as a SQL developer, but it's not one of my strong points. Mm-hmm. So I've always been on the the uh, administrative end of uh, of SQL Server, and uh, these are things like uh, full text search and uh, and uh, and replication. Um, so I I think I, I started moving out of land administration in about 1998, and I, I started getting more 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 involved in web technologies, and mm-hmm. I uh, I got involved with uh, basically I started working a lot with uh, some of the Microsoft search servers like Site Server Search and uh, Index Server, which is Mm -hmm. now Indexing Services. So I've been um, working with uh, Indexing Services uh, in SharePoint and uh, there's an open source uh, search engine out there called uh, Usain, which I've been Mm -hmm. working at right now, working for a large uh, media company and uh, we've been looking at uh, various search engines to handle our search services. And um, so we've been looking at uh, things like uh, Conveyor and Autonomy, and they just have not worked out for us. So mm. one of the things we're looking at is uh, we've seen it in a big way. And I'm not sure how that's going to work out for us, but we have the source. Um, so we we should be able to... To uh, fix the particular problems that we run across.
0: Hmm. Actually, one of the it's it's funny you mention the sort of search technologies and things. But the one of the thing that sort of fascinates me when I sort of watch the industry is the the fact that uh, it doesn't matter whether you're in the developer end or you're in the the DBA end. People people tend to very much like uh, very exact and precise sort of questions and answers. And yet the, the I think the dichotomy is that the users love fuzzy. Uh, questions and uh, <laughs> imprecise well, answers that's,
1: that's not quite true hmm it, it really depends on what what your search is. for instance we as DBAs we deal with uh, with what I'm going to call it when we search on book hmm. we want hits to just book now for most people most other people who are not involved in technical, uh, technical environments what they do mm. is, they, when they search, they're looking for fuzzy searches. So when they're searching on on uh, on book, they want hit, they want it's all coming back to books. Mm. So th- the people who really want imprecision is the general public. Yes. We in, in, we in the technical world, we want precise matches. Mm. We want the Google kind of search. Where you search on book, you only get hits of book. Now, what you're talking about is, you're talking about... Uh, a more concept-based search. So, mm. basically, we don't know what we're looking for. So, we know that we're looking for... Those t- uh, uh, perhaps we're looking for uh, backup. Yeah. But perhaps we're having a problem with uh, with our transaction log ballooning, mm. with large transaction logs. How do we get... How can we search on large transaction logs? and get hits to documents, which you use the phrases big transaction logs, balloon transaction logs, or hmm. my transaction logs, How gigs. How does the search engine do a conceptual-based search? And
0: yeah, I, th- uh, I think that's what was fascinating me, is, is that, right. again, people often look and say, oh, yes, I can apply like clauses and things like that, and I can right. search, but... But it's not that at all. It, it, it's different declensions of a word. So driving is the same yeah. as drives and ballooning and large and
1: yeah. Now, declension is uh, is possessive.
0: Mm.
1: Would you talk, I think Microsoft groups groups uh, declension and uh, and stemming. Actually, no, no, no. They they actually I forgot the second term, but they break into declension. And conjugation. I believe those mm. are the two terms. They group them together in stemming. So declension is possessive and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, gender, whereas uh, stemming are verb types.
0: Okay. So
1: book, booking, booker, booked. So the, the the kind of research which which does those fuzzy searching is, is a pretext search. Pretext mm. is more expensive and uh, it tends to be too fuzzy, but mm. it is the natural way to search. So the default for for uh, for SharePoint and for SharePoint services is a free text search. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think the thing I was talking to uh, an ASP .NET uh, MVP Darren Neimke that I work with, and uh, uh, again, Darren was describing it. He says pretty much all the sites now, when you talk to them, they say I want a Google-like search.
1: <laughs> well, that's a strict search. That's mm. not fuzzy.
0: Yes, but and, it, it's uh, interesting that that's how they now describe it. So. <laughs>
1: And Google's algorithm is actually not the best search algorithm out there. Mm. The, the, uh, the, the algorithm that they're using just return matches with, not the waiting algorithm, is, is uh, the technology is 20 years old. And mm-hmm. what they do is they put this page rank in there, which is a mis- it's not a page rank, it's a site rank. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, if uh, your site has a lot of links to it, not your page... Then will and only then will that site be ranked higher than a site which doesn't. Mm-hmm. So if you search if you do a search on Google and compare that with the search results that you get back from uh from search.msn.com, they are different. And uh, in some cases they're quite different. And in some cases if you're looking on something a little out of the ordinary you'll get better results for for uh, MSN, search.msn.com as opposed to Google. Because mm-hmm. Google, that site ranking, just skews uh, the pages or, or the hits just too much. Mm-hmm. So uh, the question you can ask yourself is, uh, does the I'm feeling lucky button work well for you with <laughs> Google? And if it does, if the kinds of searches that you do uh, do if you do get uh, good results from I'm feeling lucky, Google is, is your search engine. If not, then you should use search search.msn.com <laughs> mm.
0: True. But anyway so, w- w- in terms of replication getting back to replication the uh, what are the things you're most look, uh, looking forward to in seeing replication wise in SQL Server 2005?
1: Well um, you know, I, I've worked with it a little while and uh, I'm still having a trouble getting used to all of the wizards. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think there's going to be a shakeout period where people are, are going to try to find out when the best when should I use which particular feature. So they mm-hmm. have something called a peer-to-peer replication.
0: Yes, which is That's a this. brand new topology. Yes. Yeah, so.
1: Right. And with, what this kind of is is it's a bidirectional replication. Within transactional replication, which is good for more than t- than a single pair, so you can have mm-hmm. three or four or five nodes within uh, within your replication solution. But what uh, what they intended to be used for is when each of these nodes has uh, an undistinguishable data set from the others. There's nothing unique about any of these nodes. They all have the same data sets it's designed for kind of scale-out uh, read solutions. So, for instance, mm-hmm. if you have uh, 1,000 users banging away at a box, you can make a better performance if you put 10 boxes in the mix and have each of the 100 users banging away at a single box. Mm-hmm. So you may get, you'll get more bang for your buck with uh, 10 lightweight servers than a single monolithic large horsepower solution. And mm-hmm. peer-to-peer replication is designed specifically for this in mind. So, it's designed for scale out. Um, mm. I think that uh, uh, they've done a lot of work on particular pain points. So, they've taken uh, Replication Monitor, that's a, a separate executable now. And uh, you can go into Replication Monitor and check on all, you can also all sorts of statistics as to how particular uh, replication solutions working out. Like, uh, for instance, uh, you can drill down on on a replication subscriber and find out uh, which particular article is experiencing the most amount of uploads and or downloads, which are candidates for upload only, the upload mm-hmm. only feature, or download only feature on a, on a per-article basis within merge replication. But, uh, I mean, you have a really good window into the statistics, for your system, they have tracer tokens within transactional replication. So, a lot of people are really interested in latency. How how old is my data by the time it hits my subscriber? And they have a, mm-hmm. a token which you can inject into your publisher, and you can time how long it takes to get to my subscriber. And th- this was a a problem with that, and that is that, uh, depending on your data flow patterns, if your data flow patterns are all over the place, you can expect your your latency to be all over the place, too. Yes. It can vary widely from one minute to you know, several minutes. And so by injecting a token, you're getting a very brief window into what what the replication performance was like at, mm. uh, at a time period. And so you can collect it over a variety of peers and you have a little bit of a history. Mm. But uh, you know, it's a very volatile measure. And I'm just a little concerned that people will, will say, oh, my latency is 23 seconds, when you know, the next minute it can, it can be uh, several minutes. All, yeah. It's all depending on, uh, on the ratio of singleton commands to, mm-hmm. uh, to batches which are happening yep. on, your, uh, on your publisher, uh, how your publisher is performing at that time. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if, you're, if it's under high load from other processes, your application solution will slow down. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, I mean, overall, the, the statistics have been really worked out. So, again, a, a really good window to your replication environment. Uh, they have auto-sensing agents, uh, distributed agents, which will spin up on demand, um, the ability to replicate uh, schema changes. So, almost all I think all the altered commands are now replicated. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happens if you try to alter a primary key.
0: Yeah, in yeah. fact, it is, it is an area I'm particularly interested in because I must admit that seems to have always been one of the big bones of contention with, with it is where you're doing sort of complicated uh, schemas, changes that uh, are involved in the replication, and uh, yeah. more more so than the existing uh, SP REPL ADD column right. type thing. Yeah. yeah,
1: well, you'd like to think that uh, at least your primary keys will be stable. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, of course, you and I know that's not true, but, but it, it, I mean, hopefully, the, when the developers are pushing something out the door every couple of weeks, that uh, they're not going to be modifying their primary keys. Yes. The new, new columns. Understand changing data types. Well, you know that that kind of raises some questions. Mm. Replication can't handle it fine, but uh, you have to kind of wonder. Well. It just raises questions about what your developers are
0: doing. Yeah, so. Actually, one of, one of the questions uh, I, I get asked quite a bit is uh, where people have come from other environments. They say one of the things they don't like is the fact that the developers have to be aware that the table is replicated at all. And they would really prefer an arrangement where the developers could sort of work with the tables almost oblivious to the fact that... Uh, that the tables actually part of replication. They they see that there, there should somehow be a distinct break between the two. But currently, yeah, I don't I, see any easy way to do that. So.
1: Well, in in SQL 2005, it will be much less painful. Mm. They, in fact, it should be handled seamlessly. I'm uh, I'm always hesitant to to say something like that because I know that at some point in time something will happen. So yes. Someone will do something very that uh, was totally un- unanticipated by Microsoft. Hmm. And, in fact, I'm, I'm not even totally sure if... Uh, this may be completely bulletproof. I'm not yeah. exactly sure how they're doing this. Maybe they're using... Uh, they have schema-based triggers now, is that correct? Yes. Do alter- yeah. They, they may be using that to, uh, to replicate the schema changes.
0: Yes. Yeah, I must, I must admit, I mentioned it uh, in the show with Kaylin. Actually, I'm uh, really very interested in the possibilities with DDL schema, uh, triggers and... Uh, And, in fact, I think it it could well lend itself to be one of the interesting uses for managed code, given the fact that I think a lot of the code in the DDL triggers may end up being sort of string processing type type code. But it will, will be interesting to see. Right. But with, uh, in general, then, with SQL Server 2005, uh, apart from anything necessarily in replication, um, what sort of the main things you're looking forward to in the product?
1: Well, there's always the challenge of learning it. So I'm kind of midway through that, uh, that challenge right now. Um, you know, I deal, I, I'm kind of a news group junkie, so I hang out on the mm. news groups a lot. And ideal I, I know the pain points and they they've done a tremendous amount of work they have had five years or more than five years actually to address these pain points and they, they've done a tremendous job of addressing them they've mm-hmm. uh, they've tried to divorce replication as much as possible from the underlying architecture and the and the, the network uh, that it sits on so they they've, they've tried to make it more tolerant of uh, of re- of network failures and yeah. uh, and network failures and perhaps uh, and let's say the subscriber or publisher being under load, because mm-hmm. in some cases uh, replication can fail or, go su- or the agents can go suspect if, uh, if your subscriber or publisher is under extreme load. Yeah. Um, so they, I mean, a tremendous amount of work to simplify it, to make it uh, less of a management problem, and they've, they've completely reworked the wizards. Mm. So the wizards are really simple right now. Uh, before, the wizards were always a little bewildering. Yeah. So now, uh, DBAs are going to be a little bewildered by, how do I deploy a, subs- a subscription? But um, once you get your basic navigation, uh, or once you understand basically how to navigate within the new replication wizards, it will be a lot a lot simpler for mm. you um
0: I think I think sometimes getting a head around what the agents are and where they run and right. so on is kind of an issue and it's one of the things I quite enjoyed in your book actually was the uh, fairly detailed description of what sits where right. and uh, yeah
1: yeah and, and another thing they've done is uh they've uh they've changed the security model so it's really very secure by default now and uh there's going to be lots of questions as to how do I work with it? Because it, by default, it's broken. Yes. So you have to go in there. You have to define the security for your snapshot agent, blogger agent, and distributor agent. And people are going to say, well, what do I use? And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I myself haven't quite worked that out yet. But it, it looks like uh, basically the accounts that you're using just need rights to, or to log in that uh, you'd like into the snapshot agent, uh, the snapshot exe with. So it's just that base security. And mm-hmm. it's not anymore... You don't need necessary uh, DBO rights for the database to, yeah. uh, to run these agents under.
0: What about, uh, what about sort of cross-domain support? Because I know that's uh, been one of the other difficult areas is where we have um, untrusted domains.
1: Right. Okay. Um, the way I normally work that is through pass-through authentication. Mm-hmm. What happens is, uh, by default, when you log on to, to an application which is using NT security, the first thing it does is it, it tries to log on with the local machine account. Yeah. If that doesn't work, then what it does is it bumps it up to the domain level. Mm-hmm. So, if you have a uh, a local account, local machine account, with the same name and passwords on both sides of your replication solution, mm. the domain uh, the domain security check will be bypassed in favor of a local admin, a local machine check.
0: Sure.
1: So that that's the way I, I recommend you get around mm. uh, around untrusted domains. Also, if the if you're running the same account with the same passwords in different domains, it will bypass the actual domain check. Mm. And I think it uses the local credentials. Yes. The, the local cache. So, so that's another way of getting around it. Um, mm. And it, it only comes in place, really, in pulse descriptions. So what the mm. pull subscription has to do is it has to use a security context to connect to the, to the publisher and connect to that, that uh, snapshot share mm. that is where the security context comes in for pull for push it's just the, the distribution connecting to the snapshot share which is on the publisher mm. so it should be a problem there
0: yeah. and I presume yeah. on an internet connection I mean you'd, you'd, FTP is the, the logical. Solution for snapshot files?
1: Right. And this raises a lot of interesting questions. Everyone, when they hear FTP, they they freak and they say, this is insecure. Mm. Now, it's actually uh, not necessarily insecure. Basically what happens is when you do anonymous authentication with FTP, the password doesn't fly. It, it, mm. Basically, you're opening up your snapshot to anyone. And the question is, do you care about anyone potentially accessing your FTP site and snapshot? In a lot of cases, no, you don't care. Mm. If you're a bank, you care very much. Um, and then what, the, what p- some people do is they use NT security for the FTP account. We, but that means the password's going to fly. And that means that if... The, if someone is able to trap that password, someone is able to do a phishing attack on your router, on a router somewhere on the internet, and your packet travels that way. They may get that that password that you're using, mm-hmm. and then they may be able to use that password. If you use the same password, then they may have access to your machine. Most security breaches are caused locally, so someone is in your building. Someone is in your machine on your machine already. That's how they get And a lot of people who are really upset about using FTP, they have no problem with using POP. Yes. So you know, <laughs> and your your password travels clear text there. Hmm. So there's some misnomers. But still a lot of people don't like using FTP. And, and I can understand that because there have been some very significant breaches using hmm. FTP. Cool. And then sometimes if your bank, well... Yeah, FTP is out of the question. So what you do is use a VPN. Microsoft mm. does have a VPN module uh, that ships on the OS. It's a little slow. Hardware uh, solutions are, again, a little slow. But with, uh, with with SQL Server 2005 replication, with merge uh, publications, you can synchronize over the Internet through IIS. Mm. And if you ever use SQL CE, yes. with SQL CE, you connect with a... A web server to download mm-hmm. your snapshot and, and to connect to your your SQL server And uh, basically it's very very similar to that and it's uh, through HTTPS. So it is it's, uh, With merge replication you have a highly secure way of downloading your snapshots and, and mm-hmm. connecting to your your merge publisher For merge replication. So it's not only the snapshot. It's all replication traffic for merge replication.
0: That's great. Well, that's pretty much getting us up towards time. Uh, the other thing it would be great to hear is just um, what have you got happening in your world in the next few months, or or more well, books? I'm, or?
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, trying to push this merger application book out, out the door. I'm, I'm like halfway through it right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, some things are killing me, like uh, Merge in journals is just killing me. It's just <laughs> trying to figure out exactly how that works. It, it, it's... Uh, it's one of those things you look at and, and you struggle with and say, why on earth did they make this decision then it dawns on you one day why they made this decision and uh, it's just such a, a brilliant solution to the particular problem they're dealing with that uh, I mean, just with so much respect for the, the merge replication developers yeah um Yeah, so uh, speaking on uh, full-text search at Paths, so I'm kind of gearing up for that. uh, Great. I'm writing a couple of articles for for some uh, magazines, which which is always very interesting because writing really helps to solidify your thinking on certain issues. And uh, you always, when you want to write something, you want to be accurate. And so something will come up, and you'll go in, a, in another tangent and discover something really interesting like that uh, I was trying to quantify the exact uh, performance impact of uh, of uh, storing blobs storing treated blobs in your database as opposed to storing them in the file system mm. and uh, I've been going up with uh, larger and larger blobs so right now I'm, I'm looking at ten 10 k it looks like is three times Okay, you get uh, three times more hits per. So your your solution can handle three times more hits per second. When you store your blob in the file system, store your blob in the file system and the database, hmm. and retrieve the blob from the data from the file system, as opposed to retrieving the blob from the file system. Hmm. And I, I really want to explore that further using text and wrote, what happens when you use text and yeah. and what is the differential between SQL 2000 and SQL 2005
0: Yeah, so. That's great, yeah well uh, I, I must admit I uh, did speak myself at um, a PASS in uh, Munich a, a few weeks back and okay. uh, that was very enjoyable and so I uh, must admit I'm looking forward to presenting the same session myself again at uh, PASS in, um, in Dallas or Grapevine at uh, the end of the year, so look forward to seeing you there You too, great. Indeed. Thank you very much, Hillary. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.